Let's turn to uh, chapter 26 of the confession. We're beginning a new chapter. The chapter of the church. Chapter 26 of the Confession, I'll read the first paragraph. The Catholic or Universal Church, which, with respect to the internal work of the Spirit and truth of grace, may be called invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. What is interesting about this chapter is that it is the longest uh, chapter in the confession. Uh, you may be wondering why they gave so much attention to it, but one of the reasons is because of the importance of the local church. People may see the church as a small thing, but the Bible, in the Bible, the church is a huge thing. So the doctrine of the church is one of the doctrines that are sadly neglected in this uh, day and age. It is undervalued and underappreciated. And um, part of that reason is um, the negative impact false teachers have had on the church. Um, um, the, the church is never perfect. It will never be perfect. It will be perfect on the day that we are glorified in heaven. But the church is the bride of Christ. So that if someone says something bad about your bride, you should be able to fight. You should be able to defend your bride. And the Lord Jesus Christ holds the church as the apple of his eyes. You notice in the New Testament that most of the letters were written to churches. Even the general letters, such as Hebrews, First and Second Peter, Revelation, they were written to people assumed to be functioning in a local church. And so, if you're a Christian, the place you, um, you, you ought to subscribe is in the local church. The New Testament knows nothing of a Christian who exists outside the local church. And so every Christian ought to consistently attend and be part of a local church. And in the New Testament, a huge part of what is taught has to do with church life. It has to do with fellowship. Um, um, it has to do with the Lord's table. It has to do with preaching of God's word. Um, and so the church is a primary means of grace. Uh, if you think of how God ministers to his people, how God graces his people, the primary mechanism is through what? It's through the church. The church is the means through which people are evangelized, people are edified, missionaries are sent out. The church is the place where people grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so you could grow in your private means of grace, but God has appointed the church as the primary means. The primary means where you can fellowship, uh, you can partake the Lord's table, you can be disciplined, you can be discipled, uh, you can hear the word of God, you can fellowship. Um, a number of things. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Uh, this, this is what we've been going through in the uh, morning sermon. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. As we've gone through this, you notice that there is tremendous emphasis put on the function of the church. Um, verse 11, so, uh, so Christ descended here on earth, he ascended, giving gifts to the church, and one of those gifts are, uh, verse 11, and he gave, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, for what purposes? To equip the saints of, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The local church is the means by which we are equipped for the work of service. The local church is the means by which we all attain, verse 13, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The local church is the place where you can be trained and guided so that you're no longer a spiritual babe a spiritual child, so that you're no longer tossed, verse 14, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The local church is the place, verse 15, where we speak truth in love. The local church is the place where we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The local church is the place where we are one body, verse 16. We are joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped so that we work properly. And that makes us to grow and to build ourselves up in love. And you can go on and on in the New Testament where all these things are exercised uh, in the local church. And Christ loved the church. He gave himself for the church. He, he said, I am building my church. And so the church is central, very much central in the plans of God. The church is the place where God conveys his grace to his people. And so it's very important for our sanctification. If you look at chapter 3, verse 8 of Ephesians, uh, sorry, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be, might, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, it's the church that the wisdom of God is displayed in bringing both the Jew and the Gentile, in bringing people from various walks of life and making them one body, one body with Christ as the head of that body. And so the church is very much important and Proper churchmanship is very much neglected today. It's such a rare thing uh, to see people committed in the church. And so this topic is very important for us. 
um, it is very much emphasized in the New Testament and it's important for us as Christians. We can't emphasize enough the importance of the church. The church is important to you because it is important to Christ. Christ died for the church. The church is called the bride of Christ. And so as we begin this chapter, uh, just to break it down into two parts, the first four paragraphs um, speak of the universal church, the, 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 what the confession also calls the Catholic church. Um, the first four paragraphs speak of the universal church and the, from, uh, uh, the, last, uh, from, uh, the last 11 paragraphs, from paragraph 5 to 15, speak, to the, uh, speak about the local church. And so we begin with uh, the first paragraph. I'll read again. The Catholic or universal church, which with respect to the internal work of the spirit and truth of grace, may be called invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Would you notice in that first paragraph? Catholic, um, uh, it's called the Catholic or Universal Church. The first thing I'd like you to notice is that there is an existence of a universal church. It says the Catholic or universal church. So the word church refers to the local body, the local body of believers, but it can also refer to Christians everywhere. Uh, so that when Christ says, I will build my church, he's talking about the universal church. He's not talking about a specific local church. He's talking about the universal church. When Paul speaks of Christ as the head of the church, he's the head of every individual local church, but he's the head of the whole universal church. And so when you hear the word Catholic, the first thing that comes into your mind should not be the Roman Catholic church. Catholic means universal or simply comprehensive. So it means the entire, the, it's everywhere. And so the universal church is not bound by race or color or language or nationality. It is not bound by space or time. You can have the local church limited in a particular place 
at a particular time when people meet but the universal church is spread everywhere at all times from the beginning of creation to the end of the future and so the makeup of the universal church you notice there that the catholic is a small c it's not a capital c it is a small c to show that it is uh, it, it refers to um, it is a description it's it is an adverb rather than a noun uh, the catholic church uh, so when i tell you i have a catholic spirit i mean that i have an inclusive spirit uh, i want to <laughs> i i want to love others i want to i am i want to be universal i want to accommodate all christians everywhere Before we look at the second thing on the constitution of the universal church, anything you'd like to say on that first part, that there is an existence of a universal church? Secondly, I'd like us to look at the second element, the constitution of the universal church. Notice in the middle of the paragraph, it says, consist. What does the church consist? It consists of who? Of the whole number of the elect. And so the universal church is broken into millions and millions of what? Of local churches. So those churches have existed throughout history. So a church like TRBC, prior to, to the end of 2021, had not existed. So there was no local church. And so this universal church refers to churches that maybe they have died already. Um, churches that will be constituted in the future as well. And churches that will exist probably throughout all ages, if, if anything like that can happen. So the churches, uh, so when you say the bride of Christ here, when you talk about the church, it's very exclusive. It talks about the elect. So not a single apostate, not a single false teacher constitutes the church. When you speak about the universal church, um, there's no one in the universal church who is not elect. The universal church of Christ, everyone is part of the elect. Uh, all those who are elect, he says, they are, consist of the whole number, not some, not many, but whole number of the elect that have been. You can speak of those who are currently uh, that have been the, uh, speaking of the past are currently and shall be gathered into one. So this is the constitution of the local church. All those Christians who have existed prior to the coming of Christ, after the coming of Christ, constitute the local church. It starts from Genesis to the last Christian who will be born again. We don't know who will, who will, who it will be, isn't it? 
the last Christian who will be born again before Christ returns. All that constitutes the local church. So Abraham, Moses, you can speak of David, you can speak of Noah, you can speak of the prophets. All those constitute the universal church. You can speak of Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin, uh, Christians throughout church history. They are part of the universal church. And Christ is the head of that church. And we are his body. Any question, comment before we look at the last thing there, the invisibility of the local church. The constitution of the local church and um, what was the first thing? The constitution of the local church and the universal nature of the churches. Comment, question? I think it's important to say that um, those who are Well, it's obvious, but then those who are not Christians are not part of the church. Because, you know, when we say that we have a universal um, universal church, people, people will say things like uh, you have denomin- denominational hmm. Um, uh, gaps. Yeah. You have SDAs, Mormons, and Jehovah Witnesses, and Presbyterians, and Baptists, and all those people clumped up together mm. form the universal church. But that's, that's not quite the case. The universal church is comprised of those who have believed in Jesus Christ. Mm. Anyone who has tampered with the gospel they do not have the real message and therefore they are not part of the universal church um, yeah, yeah. yeah question comment Like us, before we look at those verses, I'd like us to look at the last thing there, the invisibility of the local church. It says, the Catholic or universal church, which, with respect to the internal work of the spirit and truth of grace, may be called invisible. In what way is the church invisible? In what way do you think the church is invisible? When you say the church is invisible, um, does it warrant you to become an invisible Christian as well? <laughs> what do we mean when we say the church is invisible? 
also a church <coughs> consists of uh, people of common faith in Christ. Mm. Like, uh, it's more of a faith. It's not like a structure. Like, mm. okay. So I see it in that way. It's an household of the people. Okay. So you see it in, in terms of faith, yeah. uh, faith being invisible, isn't it? Um, yes, A any, any other try? When we say the church is invisible, you notice that it is in reference to our eyes and not to in reference to God's eyes, isn't it? Because the Christ God knows his church, isn't it? Um, and so when we say that the church is invisible, we mean that it transcends time and space, first of all. We also mean that we cannot know the hearts of men. We cannot know with certainty those who are regenerate. We can have evidence of salvation and such, but you cannot know in totality, isn't it, uh, that, uh, that, 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 that and, uh, such and such person is, is part of the church of Christ. And so, in one sense, uh, let, let me read you uh, John chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's not possible for us. Yes, there can be evidence of salvation. Uh, someone can say very clearly that they are a Christian and everything. But there's an aspect in which the church is invisible, that we cannot know the hearts of men. We cannot um, dissect and really know uh, in, in, we, uh, with full assurance that uh, such a person is a Christian. We cannot see the effectual call. We cannot see regeneration. We are fallible, finite men. Um, we can have various levels of assurances, uh, but whether someone is uh, going to heaven with certainty or not, we cannot know. And so the entire assembly of God God's elect is invisible to us. We have no eyes to see into man's heart. Uh, so that um, you, we could rightly say that there are believers even in false churches. You can have believers in, in cults like the Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic Church like the SDA. Uh, uh, even in false churches. False uh, uh, even in, 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 in cults and, and heretical churches, you can have believers over there. But are you able to really to know fully? It's so hard to know, isn't it? Yeah. And so the visible church will be those who give a visible profession of faith. Yeah. Any comment, comment question before we look at those verses? Speaking to 
that aspect of you being universal. Mm. Um, I don't know whether the Bible says anything um, about how we ought to think about the people group churches in terms of nations. Okay. So that you can say the church in Kenya, mm. the church in Africa, mm. or the church in America, for example. Um, is, is, it, is it right to say that? Or to think like that? Mm. Um, does it have any significance? Okay. To say that, so that you speak about the church in Kenya. Mm. Um, and we say that we need the universal church, but we cannot. Mm. Um, I don't know if you get the gist of my question. Yeah. Yeah, because you hear people talking like that mm. a lot. Mm. The church in Kenya, for example. Mm. Yeah. So I was wondering maybe what what you think about that. So the grouping of churches. Are based on countries, so so when um, let's say when we say the church in Kenya or the church in in Somalia, if there's a church, if there's like group of churches or the church in in Sudan, um, I don't think there's 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 any problem in in grouping churches based on countries uh, uh but what we we know for the most part is uh there are very few true churches isn't it so that uh when we say the church in Kenya there are very few biblical churches churches that uphold the word of god uh and so you can speak of it in a general sense but when you come to specifics uh, like when we say like the church in Kenya, like the true church in Kenya, uh, you find that uh, there are very few of them. There are very few churches that preach the gospel, isn't it? There are very few churches where uh, uh, members are fed with the true gospel. Yeah. So, so when we, we can say the church in Kenya is facing persecution, so there's an aspect in which it's it's a general statement, so that anyone subscribing to the Christian faith uh, is facing persecution. Uh, but now when we come to specifics, there are very few biblical churches, isn't it? There, 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 there are very few churches with which, which Christ is the head of the church, if you can, if you can say that way. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure that I'm answering your question. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a sense in which when people say the church in Kenya, mm. uh, contrary to what we've said, mm. you see there you, you say uh, that the church is not, all, like you've said, all of us, mm. the denominations coming together. Yes. Um, because I think when people speak, for example, of the church in Kenya being silent on, mm. on a certain issue or whatever it is, mm. people mostly attribute it to all these churches mm. cumulatively yes. um, make up the Church of Kenya. Mm. So that if you say that, then it's not the right thing. Mm. It's, it's wrong to say that. Mm. Um, but at the same time, 
you can say that to imply to the elect in Kenya. Yes, yes. And now you can have elect across board, isn't it? Mm. Even in those um, um, false, what false churches, if I can say that. Uh, God has His elect everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why I ask that question is, is because um, people then have a wrong understanding of what the church is. Yes. Um, so that. For example, if you uh, criticize or critique uh, a, a certain person's doctrine, uh, people in Kenya will say you are attacking the church. Yes. Um, and and from that understanding, then it's very important to understand what the church means, mm. um, because those people then would understand what it means. Yeah. That they are not necessarily attacking mm. the universal mm. Church of Christ. Yeah. Um, in fact, they are protecting the Church mm. of Christ. Mm. Um, so such thinking may make people think collectively like that, like mm. in terms of denominations. Mm. All of us are the Church of Christ. Mm. Um, instead of thinking that it's it's a Church for the true believers. Mm. Therefore, it needs to be protected. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you speak something bad about Islam, uh, they don't say that you're attacking the mosque, isn't it? They say that you're attacking the, mm-hmm. the, the, their faith. Mm-hmm. And that should be the case with the Christianity, uh, that um, when, when someone rises to attack uh, the, the church, it should be attacking the Christian faith. Uh, but uh, the thing now with Christianity is the Christian faith is very vague because everyone is defining it using his own terms. Yeah. I think generally speaking, we shouldn't use such terminology. Um, even where we use terminology like the the church in history it's not attributed to any one particular nation when we look down through the history of the church it's it's the history of the true christians the the, the true saints um, but then when we say the church in kenya we we are prone to fall fall into that ditch of categorizing everyone under the same umbrella mm-hmm. even though they may not be true Christians and and and, and we don't we don't want that um, we, we, we want to have the church we, we just want to have the church if we have the universal church we, we have the universal church which um, as Basi has told us, he's invisible. We can't see it. We don't know. We don't know everyone who's a Christian, for sure. Some say they are Christians when they are not. Um, but then we also have, you know, as, as we, we look at the second paragraph, there's, there's the visible aspect of the church, even though it is invisible. Mm. Um, 
but then using that terminology of the church church in china the church of england <laughs> the church the church of england mm. is is not very accurate mm. it's not very biblical um, although there's a there's a sense in which we can say you know we can use the that language in in in, in acts the the church in antioch and we know what they meant is those who had believed in jesus christ those who had heard the gospel and believed but then we, we we can't quite equate that with today right now and say that the church in kenya because different people mean different things when they say that mm. so so we don't want to to use ambiguous language while we can just say the church yeah meaning those who have believed in, in christ But, but I guess, um, Seth, you understand if a reformed foreigner comes here and tells you, how is the church in Kenya? You, you know how you answer him, isn't it? Like you talk about the true church, as opposed to just speaking about all the churches. Yeah. Any other? That was a good question. Any other comment? Qu- question. Papa. This paragraph has implication in the sense that when you run into a believer of any race, color, tribe, or people, you have a spiritual communion with them. Uh, They are brothers and sisters in Christ. You have an intimate union with them. So that instantly they are a stranger, but instantly there is a bond, isn't it? Uh, you hear them that they are born again, they are a Christian. Uh, everything else is thrown out of the window and you begin to, to, to interact with them uh, because we have one, one head, we are under Christ. He says there, all shall be gathered into one. We are under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Someone can, uh, can read for us from verse 22 to 24. 22 to 24. But you come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, 
and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Yeah, so the writer to the Hebrews is telling them that you have come to Mount Zion. Uh, you've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, this is in reference to to the church, uh, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And so the assembly of the firstborn uh, are those Christians who have gone before us, says they are enrolled in heaven. I think when we sing the, when we sang the song, The Church is One Foundation, speaks of, of the same matter. Um, uh, the last stanza says, Yet she on earth has union with God the three in one, and they listen, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. And so we have communion with the saints that have gone before us. Even as we sing these hymns, isn't it? If, if, this, if this hymn was, uh, uh, was written in the 1900, uh, we can relate to all those Christians who have been singing these hymns, uh, and we can have sweet communion with them. Um, yeah. Anything you'd like to say on that, part, on that verse or any addition? Colossians one eighteen. Colossians one eighteen. Someone can read from verse seventeen to nineteen. Seventeen to twenty. So, Christ holds all things together, verse 17. And then verse 18 says, He's the head of the church. He's um, the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. The firstborn there is not talking about Christ being the created being. It's talking about the prominence of Christ. Uh, that in everything he might be preeminent. Uh, yeah, so it's very clear there that Christ is the head of the universal church. And the universal church is... From creation, from Genesis uh, to Revelation, until the last Christian who will be born again before Christ returns, and Christ is the head of that universal church. Uh, yes, comment, question on that verse, or any anything like to add.
guess these things have been clear as we have been going through the uh, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. Someone can read from verse 9. Uh, read verse 9 and 10. Ephesians 1 verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his, his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Christ Jesus. This was uh, God's ordained plan from eternity past uh, that in the fullness of time Jesus Christ will come and he will unite all things together. Things in heaven, things on earth. You see, as a universal church we are one. The same way Abraham was saved, same way Noah was saved, is the same way you have been saved. There's nothing different. You're all one. You're, you're, you're one with the apostles. You're one with the prophets. Uh, there's nothing different uh, when you talk about uh, Christians from all, uh, all ages because Christ has united us as one. Uh, things in heaven, things on earth. You can speak again about believers who are in heaven. We are one with them. Believers who are on earth, we are one with them. Then verse 22 and 23 of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Someone can read that. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head, head over all things to the judge, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all the world. Uh, so Christ has been exalted far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. Uh, his name is above every other name. God has put all things under his feet. Everything is uh, in subordination to Christ. And Christ has been given uh, headship over all things. And uh, he's the head of the church, uh, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 5, verse 23. Ephesians chapter 5. Someone can read verse... Could just read the all from verse twenty. Three to thirty-two. Ephesians five, verse twenty-three to thirty-two. Ephesians five, verse twenty-three to thirty-two. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his and is himself its saving. Now, as the church submits to Christ. So also, should, so, so also, why should submit 
in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the child to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Mm. So the focus of the confession is verse 23, 27, and 32. 23 says that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Notice the same similar language in the confession. They just use uh, the uh, biblical language there uh, that have been or shall be gathered into one under Christ the head thereof and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Mm. This is what Christ will do for us, brethren. Uh, when we stand before God one day, um, he shall present the universal church. The church from Genesis to the end of the world, uh, he shall present it uh, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, says there. Um, and, and Christ really has, has paid the penalty of our sin. He has clothed us with his righteousness. And one day when we stand before God, our sins will not be counted against us. Uh, because of his perfect righteousness. Um, verse 32 says, however, let each, oh, sorry, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So it's talking about the mystery uh, between uh, uh, the husband and the wife becoming one flesh. And uh, the same mystery, isn't it, when you speak of Christ and the church, uh, the church is unlovable, it is sinful. It is imperfect. Uh, Christ is the opposite of that. And, uh, uh, and, and Christ and the church are one. Christ has bought the church with his precious blood. And this mystery is profound. It's beyond us, really, that uh, Christ has found to love us. Uh, we who are unlovable. Mm. Comment, question, before we pray. I think we should not be afraid of the doctrine of election. Um, when considering this matter of the church, we 
we are faced with the, uh, that difficult doctrine of election, that God, the Father, in sending God the Son, did not intend to save everyone in the world. Um, when Christ died upon the cross, he died to save his people. That's what the angel tells Mary. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Mm. Now, when we read in the confession there that um, it cons the, 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 the invisible church, the Catholic universal church, consists of the whole number of the elect, we know that those for whom Christ died, they will all be saved. And so, and so when, as we consider this whole matter of uh, the church, we must have it at the forefront of our minds that um, the church is the bride of Christ. The, the, the Christ died for the church. He did not die for, for everyone. <clears throat> um, read there that uh, the elect um, are, th are those that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse. The church is the spouse. The elect are the spouse, the body, the the the. the they are the body of Christ. They are the spouse of Christ. And Spurgeon says that uh, the Armenian wants to choose his wife, but he does not want Christ to choose his bride. And the Bible tells us clearly that Christ chooses those that are his. While many are called, uh, it is few that are chosen. So, so we should not be afraid of uh, uh, the doctrine of election, especially because as we consider the whole matter of the church, what we are saying is that Christ has his church. He has his bride. He has his people. Um, he has his wife, as it were. 